0: We are in the Psalms. Our summer series is a Psalm series. And we're just picking kind of random Psalms. There's 150 to choose from. So we're just, every week we're picking some. We're going back and forth. And uh, so that's what we're doing today and next week. And then uh, in September we have a a different series. Uh, Today we are talking about love. And uh, I was cleaning out the basement this week and I found a thing of um, love letters from Lauren and I back and forth. I found some wrappers I saved that she gave me and put a little thing on there. It's funny what you save when you're uh, in that initial love thing, because I don't save every wrapper she gives me anymore. We just celebrated our 15 year anniversary, so I don't have all those wrappers. However, I did see um, a love letter. It wasn't from me or Lauren, but um, it really struck me, the power of it, and so I thought I'd read it to you. It says, Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking off our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you, yours forever, Marie. P.S. and congratulations on winning the Lotto 649. (laughs) Love is fickle. It's fickle. It's here and then it's gone. It's up and then it's down. It's passionate and then it's cold. It feels like that anyway. Our human love feels this way. Like it could be bought with the Lotto 649. You could buy some love from me with a lot of (laughs) 649. But God's love in the Bible, it's described differently. It is, it's more long-term, it's more solid, it's unchangeable. And it's a love that we're desperate for, but even when we're face-to-face with it, we have a hard time grasping it and getting a hold of it, really. One of the things I love about our Psalms are that Uh, They hit so close to our human, real-life situation. They talk about real feelings. They talk about real struggle, real solutions, and real praise. Our psalm today is Psalm 136, and if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Um, If you don't, that's okay. It's best read As a responsive reading. So I know we don't always do this, but I'd like you to participate in the reading this morning and I'm going to read parts and then you're going to say, you just have one line you have to remember. That's it. Okay. Do you think you can do this? Okay. I heard someone say yes. So your part is this, his love endures forever. Can you say that? His love endures forever. Can you say it again? His love endures forever. Okay, so I'm going to read my part, and then after every line I read, you're going to say, His love endures forever. And if you have your Bible, you know I'm not making this up. This This is the psalm. So I'm just telling you what your part is. Okay, are you ready? Okay. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords his love forever. to him who alone does great wonders his love who by his understanding, made the heavens. His love who spread out the earth upon the waters, His love endures forever. Who made the great lights. His love endures forever. the sun to govern the day. His love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night. Don't get tired. You're flagging a little bit. Come on. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. That's better. Yeah, let's get some Pentecostals and And brought Israel out from among them. Love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm. His love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. And brought Israel through the midst of it. His love forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His love forever. To him who led his people through the desert. His love <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> who struck down great kings. His love forever. And killed mighty kings. His love Sion, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. His love and gave their land as an inheritance. His love, his love endures, endures forever. An inheritance to his great servant Israel. His love endures forever. To the one who remembered us in our lowest state. His love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. And who gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Amen, that's right. After all, those His love endures forever. That's a hard responsive reading, isn't it? Like, by the end, you're like, okay, I get it, I get it. His love endures forever. My big idea is God's love in action awakens us to worship in gratitude. God's love in action awakens us to love to, or to worship in gratitude. God's love is a love that endures. Um, there's many years ago, actually, um, when I was younger, so I, my kids found out I was born in the 70s, and so that's actually now ancient history. I'm old, officially, I guess, so many years ago we could say, I thought it was just a few, but it's many to my children, there were these worship wars. And it still goes on, I think, in churches today, but I I believe it's less so. And the worship war- wars were these... The, Churches had these conflicts over the changing forms of worship. What did it look like in a church as forms changed? And so hymn books were exchanged. The hymn books in the bottom of the pews were exchanged for overheads, overhead projectors. Shining the overheads on the screens. And traditional many-verse hymns were replaced with heartfelt, repetitive choruses. And there were deep feelings about these changes the traditionalists argued that choruses lost the theological richness that hymns taught us there was all these words in there was a richness to these words there were lots of words but there's something to it that we lost and the new song people would argue that hymns were too wordy and they lacked reflective moments which happened in, re- in repetitive choruses Now, I believe that in all wars, both sides are poorer and lose to some extent, and that's what happens when both of these sides rejected the other, is we became poorer as we reject one or the other. Now, in defense of repetitive choruses, I always quote to them Psalm 136. (laughs) Is there a repetitive chorus in Psalm 136? Yes, you know it well. You said it like 26 times, actually. And sometimes we need things repeated. We think, yeah, I heard that. I got it. Why do you keep writing the same line over and over? Why do you keep making me say this over and over? Because sometimes we need it repeated. And anything that's repeated 26 times in one psalm or one chapter bears us looking at it a little more carefully and closely. His love endures forever. Or in the ESV, it says, For his steadfast love endures forever. Or in the King James Version, it says, For his mercy endureth forever. To get a... (laughs) (laughs) Or in the American Standard, it says, For his loving kindness is everlasting. Actually, that's a one word. His loving kindness. It's not two words. It's one word. His loving kindness is everlasting. And the Hebrew word here, when I looked at that, I thought, wow, that's that's a lot of different ways to say that. The Hebrew word is chesed. And it's 200, you find it 253 times it's a Hebrew word. And the the translation of this word is really, it could be loving kindness. Together, these two words. But to me, it's like, what kind of word gets two words in the definition? Loving kindness. Or steadfast love we put them together because actually it's a hard word to translate because it's such a big there's so much there what is this thing what does it mean moses when he was encountering god up on the mountain and he got the 10 commandments and people said moses he talks to god like a friend Moses is a friend of God and Moses would bring down the 10 commandments and he would go and then he'd go up and he'd talk to God and he'd meet with God as one meets with his friend face to face but Moses didn't see God he was up on the mountain in the smoke and the cloud and in you know he he gets to hear God's voice but he didn't see God and at one point he said to God God I want to see you I want to see your face and God says no you can't see my face you'll die And Moses says, I don't care. I I need to see you. And God says, okay, well, here's the deal. I'll put you in a crack in the rock, a cleft in the rock, a crevice. I'll put you in there, and then I will pass by you, and I'll put my hand over you, and I'll pass by you, and you can see the back of me. And Moses says, okay, that's a good deal still. I'll take that. And God says, as I pass by you, I'm going to say my name. Now, remember, we've talked about this, how how Moses, when he met God, he said, who should I tell them sent me? And God says, tell them I am. Moses says, what kind of name is I am? I am, that's your name. And God says, call me the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again, that's that's your name? That's kind of weird. God's going to say his name. And so God passes by Moses. And this is what God says. My name is Bob. No, I'm just joking. He doesn't say that. I'm expecting a name like that, though. What's the name going to be? Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. This is what God says. This is what God says when he passes by Moses. And I'm like, that makes more sense. God's not a one word God. He's got a whole paragraph that goes with who he is. When it says steadfast love, abounding in steadfast love, that's chesed, loving kindness. Keeping steadfast love, that's chesed. And this loving kindness is a part of God's nature and his name. It's who he is. And in our psalm, it goes along with another word. And the word is the forever, this forever word. And I don't think it's a word we understand. I don't think it's a word we get that we grasp or translate and understand in our mind. We can't grip it. This word perpetual, everlasting, ancient, forever, of past and of future, continuous, unending. The Jesus storybook Bible definition, it's a kid's storybook, a uh, kid's Bible version, and this is how they translate this idea or this word. The never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever Love the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And I think if you're going to translate this, you probably need that many words to get it down for us to start to get a hold of it. And the truth is we don't understand this because our love is conditional. That's how it works for us humans. I love you and you love me. And if you don't love me anymore, I don't love you anymore. That's how it works. If you're bad, if you hurt me, If you disappoint me, if you wrong me, if you offend me, if you badmouth me, or if you cross me, I will not love you. You and I have to be worthy of love. We earn it, and we steward it, and we must reciprocate it. And we must keep it, and we must grow it, and we must not let it die. And that's why... The love of God shakes the foundations of what we know about love. Because the love of God is not like that at all. It blows us away. Romans eight thirty eight and 39 says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. Paul writes this in Ephesians. He writes a prayer that I find so interesting. This is the prayer he writes in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. So his prayer is that you, me, we, would have power together with all the Lord's holy people, so all of us, good, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That's his prayer, that we would have power to grasp just how big this is. Because on our own we can. It's too big. It's too long. It's too high and too deep and too wide for us to get our brain around it. The love of God was the creative energy of creation. The love of God refused to abandon a people who abandoned him. And the love of God drove Jesus to come to earth. And the love of God compelled Jesus to proclaim welcome to sinners and to the sick. The love of God invited Jesus to lay down his life in our place. And the love of God raised Jesus from the dead. And the love of God desires to make his home in our hearts by his spirit. And in the end... The love of God will restore and make all things new. It's beautiful. This is a beautiful story. So we pray that we would be able to grasp the truth that his love is bigger and longer and wider and higher than we can understand. A love that is never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always, and forever and God's love is a love that evokes there's a story of uh, a guy in Hungary who went to visit his rabbi and he said life is unbearable there's nine of us living in this little room it's like I I can't stand it I'm going to die and the rabbi said I've got an idea for you why don't you take your goat and bring it into your room with you and treat it as a child in your room he says take my goat into the room with us yes do this and it will be good he says okay you're the rabbi and so he goes away and he comes back a week later and he looks horrible his hair is disheveled he's got bags under his eyes he's pale he's, he's you know bloodshot eyes and his clothes are dirty and they're wrinkled and he comes in and he's just like this week's been the worst week of my life it's been horrible we can't sleep. The goat is loud. He's messy. eats everything. He's just, he's constantly on everything. Like, it's crazy. I, I can't stand it. I'm going to die. And the rabbi says, oh, okay. That's not a good idea. Okay, well, go home and take the goat out of your house. Don't treat him as your child anymore. Put him out. Put him out of the room. And the guy's like, oh, man, what's the deal? So he goes home, and then he comes back a week later, and he says, he just looks like a different person. He says, I can't believe it life is beautiful. It's so wonderful. I can't, we enjoy every single minute without the goat. Only the nine of us. We love it. This is how gratitude works. It has the power to change your situation without changing anything. That's how gratitude works. We think of gratitude like it's the outcome or this is what comes after good things happen. That's how we think of gratitude. We think of like something happy happens and then I feel gratitude. It's the result of good things happening to me. That's gratitude. But that's not true. Gratitude is much more powerful than a simple reaction to nice things. The Bible tells us this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, when it says Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. Giving thanks is not a circumstantial command. It is a circumstance-changing command. It is not a circumstantial command, but a circumstance-changing command. Because he writes... Do it in all situations, not just when you feel happy or good things happen to you, should you say thank you. It changes your perspective. And gratitude is an unmistakable part of Psalm 136. It's how the psalm opens, and it's how the psalm closes. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever and to him, to him, to him, and it ends with, give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Do we need another reason to be grateful than that his love endures forever? Think about we, we think about worship as singing songs because to our detriment, that's how we talked about it for years in the church. Oh, we have worship time, and we have sermon time, and we have fellowship time, and we've got all these different times, and worship time is the singing part. When the music team gets up and we sing songs, that's worship. And we talk about worship music. And so that's kind of what we think about. If I said, why don't we do some worship? Everyone would be like, okay, let's turn on the music. The problem is worship isn't just singing. Thanking God is just as much a part of worship, just as much worship as singing a song to him is. Psalm 100 verse 4 to 5 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. And his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 95 verse 2 says, Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Like, those are different. Thanksgiving. In the Old Testament, sacrifices, the sacrifices they brought, there's a bunch of different ones that they needed to bring, and one of them was the fellowship offering, which is also called the offering of thanksgiving. The idea is you come and you are grateful before the Lord. Part of your worship is to bring your gratitude. Thank you for what you're doing, even before you bring requests. The tithe, the first fruits, bringing your offering, to the Lord of your tithe, that was meant to be thanking God for his provision. And we talk about that here a lot. When we're giving our offering is meant to remind us that God is our provider and we're thanking him by giving him back a portion of it. The feasts and celebrations were meant to mark the times of the year with remembrance and thanksgiving. It wasn't God sitting up in heaven saying, hmm, What could I add to the list of things I want everyone to do? Oh, we'll put in some feasts. Okay, good. Yeah, and all these different things. Yeah, they better do all this right. We'll add a few more in there. It was meant to mark our year with Thanksgiving. Oh, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're going to do. They're meant to give us these reminders. Worship and Thanksgiving are connected unmistakably. And... When we truly experience God's love, we always have a reason to be thankful. I remember there was a season in my life where I was in a lot of pain and I had a really hard time. So I grew up in a Christian home, but so I knew like, you know, re- reading the Bible and praying are different are ways you grow in your faith. And so I my whole life, I tried to like take some time in the morning to do that. It's called quiet time. And so I I would try to do that. And I remember this season where I, I would go to try to do it and I would say, I can't read the Bible, I just can't. And I would try to pray and I'd be like, I just can't, I'm in so much pain. I'm in just struggle, my heart was heavy and I struggled. And after a few months of this, the up and down and trying to do this and feeling like I was failing, I remember distinctly feeling like God said to me, Jonathan, do I still love you? I was like, No, yeah, no. Well, I'm supposed to say yes, but I don't. I feel like my heart is saying no. I don't feel like you do, but I know you do. It's like God says, do, Can you do anything to make my love bigger? It's there. It just is. It's big enough. The good news is that Jesus saved us. Our weekly communion, our time coming to the Lord's table is a reminder of his grace. Gratitude every week that we live under his grace, that we boast in our weakness and we boast in the cross. We eat the bread and drink the cup in celebration of the Lord's death and his resurrection. Psalm 9 verse 1 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. It's that picture of like, I'm going to go over it. And my challenge to you this morning is, where does gratitude fit in your, your spiritual disciplines, in your life with God? Where does, where does gratitude fit? Often we go to prayer and we say, God, I'm praying for this need and those people and this thing and these people I know they're in trouble and we bring our requests before the Lord and then we go and maybe we've got some saying, we read our Bible and we study a little bit and we learn more about him. Where does gratitude fit? Maybe it's that you start your time with gratitude. You sit down and you begin to say, Lord, what have you been doing? Thank you. How does gratitude fit in our prayer life? How does gratitude fit in our spiritual warfare? To change our situation, we begin to engage in gratitude, thanking the Lord for what he's doing. And God's love is a love that acts. It's a love that acts. There's a story written by Richard Seltzer um, out of the 1970s. Good time to be born. And uh, he wrote the book, Mortal Lessons, Notes on the Art of Surgery. He was a doctor, a surgeon. And this is his story he wrote. He says, I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy, clownish, a tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth has been severed. She will be thus from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. Who are they, I ask myself, he and this wry mouth I have made who gaze at and touch each other so generously, greedily. The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this, she asks. Yes, I say. It will. It is because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent, but the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with a God. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I'm so close I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers. To show her that their kiss still works. This is the love of God. That came and kissed us when we were twisted and broken. His love is moving. It moves us. And it doesn't stop moving. It doesn't stop. It's always going. In the beginning, it was there. God in the beginning. God the Father. God the Son. God the Spirit. I had a youth leader way back in the day, and he used to tell the story of creation. We went on a mission trip, and so he told the story a number of times, and it kind of bugged me the way he told it because he would start the story of creation. He would say, in the beginning was God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and God the Father would say to Jesus, Jesus, I love you, and Jesus would say to the Father, Father, I love you, And and then Jesus would say to the Spirit, Spirit, I love you, and the Spirit would say to Jesus, Jesus, I love you, I was like, okay, where's that in the Bible? But do you know what? Creation came out of love. The desire to share love. The love of the Trinity. God who spoke the world with a word loves us. We're his favorite thing. We spent time, we did the galactic starveyors here, our kids' camp in July. And day after day, station after station, we spoke these words to kids. God made you. He loves you. You are his masterpiece. And one of the things I enjoyed saying over kids from our culture who hear a different message, the message they hear is, we're in the animal family, we're animals, we're just a little more developed than the other animals, The message I got to say over and over and over is you're different. You're valuable. You're God's favorite thing. He says he made us different than all the other things. This is the story of God. You are valued and loved because you are his creation. And God's love wasn't just in creation. It acted through scripture, the story of love over and over and over and There's a favorite story, and you'll see it if you read through the entire Bible. You'll see all these places where people are talking about this one story over and over and over. And if you've never heard it, you don't know it, you should get to know it because it's a good story. It's a story about slavery and freedom and prophets and apostles, people reference it all over the place. It's the story of the people of Israel are enslaved and they've been enslaved for 200 years by Pharaoh and they're there and they're building his buildings and they're crying out to the Lord for freedom and God hears their cry and goes to Moses and sends Moses to be their deliverer, to to go and say the words God tells you, you need to let his people go. That's where the song comes from. Let my people go, right? Anyway, okay. And so Moses goes, and Moses says, let my people go. And if you don't know the story, Pharaoh goes up and down, back and forth, and every which way. Sometimes he says, okay, you can take them for this long or this thing, and then I want them back. No, you're not allowed. And as the story goes, God acts, and the acts are wonders. They're plagues that come down on Egypt, and they shake everyone, And there is a God who is acting for His people over and over and over, and it culminates in the death of the of the firstborn in Egypt. And the warnings come, and the warnings come. Pharaoh refuses, and the people of Israel and anyone else who's willing, if they will slaughter a lamb and take the blood and put it over their doorposts, the angel of death will pass over their home and will not enter. That's the promise. That's the Passover the celebration of the blood on the doorposts and when the angel passed over and there was no death in the home. Verses 10 to 14 of our Psalm tells the story to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm that all the nations of the world would be talking about this and this God. And then to him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it. When they got out and Pharaoh changed his mind again and came after them and God parts the sea. And it's a story that gets told over and over and over about how God acted for his people. But it doesn't end there. The Israelites, they're out in the desert and where are they going? Well, they're going to the promised land. That's, the, that's, where they're, that's where they're off to. And the journey is through the desert and up and down and all around. And eventually that's where they're going, to their inheritance. And this is where, remember the, in the psalm, the kings, it's King Sion, where God killed the kings. And you're like, what is this part of the psalm? This is a bit weird. And King Og of Bashan, you're like, I never heard of these people. Who's Og? And what kind of name is Og anyway? Right? Or were you thinking that? I think that when I read it. King Sion was, he was one of the first kings as they, as they came into the, promise, into the area of the promised land and they're trying to get to the promised land. And so they got to the, the King Sion's land, the Amorites, and they said, sent the message and they said, hey, can we pass through your country if we stay on the road and we pay for whatever we eat? We'll stay on the road, we'll just, we'll go through, we won't cause any trouble. And King Sion says, no way are we gonna open our borders to all of you. There's no way. So he meets them with an army intending to defeat them and he's defeated and they take over the land. I'm like, whoa, okay. The next guy they're going to face is Og. Og is not like Sion. He is a giant. There's an incredible passage. I got to read it to you. Deuteronomy 3.11. It's in brackets. I love bracketed parts of the Bible. For only Og, the king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. Behold, his bed was a bed of iron. Is it not in Rabbah of the Ammonites? Nine cubits was its length, and four cubits its breadth, according to the common cubit. This guy was so big that when he died, they took his bed, and they put it in the museum. And everyone came to see his bed, which was like a triple king size, I guess, or something like a giant iron bed this guy slept in that they're all like, you've got to see King Og's bed. He's so big, he slept in this bed. Look at it, it's huge. When you're in the area, go check it out. It's in uh, Rabbah, the museum at Rabbah. This is King Og. And King Og goes out to meet the Israelites too. And you know what happens? It's not even a long story. They just defeat him. They win. And in the end, the land of King Sion and the land of King Og becomes the inheritance of the Reubenites and the Gadites. This is part of the promised land. This is part of the land they inherit. God wins the battle for them. Now, slavery and Egypt is just a shadow of the greater redemption and rescue that's to come. And the physical inheritance of land was a shadow of the greater kingdom to come. Jesus was the Passover lamb. Jesus was the firstborn who was struck down. Jesus tore the curtain and made the way through the sea. Jesus struck down sin and death and the giants who oppose us so that we can claim our inheritance. Jesus conquered says in John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life God's love is in action it's moving it's doing things it's reaching us in conclusion God's love in action awakens us to worship in gratitude Firstly, God's love endures. His love is not like our love. It never changes. It never diminishes. It never fades. It's higher and longer and deeper than we can grasp. And God's love evokes gratitude. Our gratitude is an act of worship. It changes our situation and our perspective. Because of God's love, we always have a reason for gratitude, no matter what else is happening in our life. We could look to the love of God and say, I'm thankful for what you've done. And lastly, God's love is active. It's moving. It motivated creation. It keeps its promises. And God's love conquered our enemies. Jesus demonstrated God's love in his death and his victory. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for repeated refrains. That echo in our hearts for songs that repeat and maybe seem to repeat too much in the moment and yet later you bring it to mind or to our heart. And Lord, if we never forgot, if we, in every situation, in every moment, we were challenged and we were struggling and feeling down, if we remembered that your love endures forever, God, I pray that uh, we would be able to to experience you in that moment. Lord, I pray that um, you would awaken gratitude in us. Not a gratitude that comes out of our circumstance, but a gratitude that changes our circumstance. I thank you that you're all about that, transforming how we see things because you're there and you're moving. And Lord, I thank you that you are always in action You're moving, your love is reaching out and and working in situations that you keep your promises. You keep your promises. You're faithful. And God, I thank you that um, for each person here, your love is extended to them. The offer of relationship with you is extended to them because of Jesus. Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, makes the offer. Will you come? Will you enter in? Will you experience the love of God? We thank you for your love and your goodness and your faithfulness. Amen.